0: It is good to be with you guys this morning. We are continuing this series called The Jesus Story. And I love this because I love Jesus, um, which is a good thing. You hope your pastor loves Jesus. But um, one of the things that has really, really, like, just been really important to me recently um, over the, you know, the last number of years is that, look, I love church. I love the Bible. I love uh, worship. I love all these things that we do as followers of Jesus. But the thing that has impacted me more than anything is the person of Jesus. And so all of these things that we do are things that help us to get before Jesus. They help us to create room in our life to experience Jesus, to know Jesus more. And so We thought, leading up to Easter, um, during this Lenten season, uh, it would be a really great thing for us to do, to just have a sermon series where we look at selected stories of Jesus. We're kind of going chronologically through his life, and we're not going through every single story, but we're just picking out stories of Jesus um, in his life and ministry. And the reason we're doing that is because it tells us Jesus tells us that if we want to know God, then all we have to do is look to Jesus, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And so um, this morning, we're going to be looking at a story of walking on water. And so today we're going to practice a little bit. We're going to do walking on water 101. Um, No, Um, but I remember when I was a kid, I loved this story. And I remember every time we would go to, like, the swimming pool or something, I would stand at the edge of the pool, and I would close my eyes, and I would think, I have faith. I am going to walk on water. I know I can do it. And I would just believe in my heart that I could do it. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. This is going to be it. And everyone's going to be like, this is awesome. And I'd step, and I'd fall (laughs) into the water. And I remember just being like, what the heck? this doesn't make sense. Like, Peter could do it. Like, why is Peter so much better than me? Um, But it was just something that I was, like, always really fascinated by. And uh, a little bit later, I'm going to tell you uh, a little bit of a problem I had with this story. But before we jump in, let's just pray, and then we'll just look at the story. So, Jesus, uh, we thank you for being here this morning. We thank you... um, like Nate was saying, that you died for us, and that your death on the cross wasn't just a symbol, but it was showing us that you conquered death and sin, that you rose from the dead, that you were the firstborn of all creation. And Lord, I love, too, just the way we were worshiping you was was not in a way that was worshiping something that happened 2,000 years ago, but was worshiping the God that is in this room. And so we love you, Jesus. We just pray that you continue to be with us as we look at your word. Amen. All right. So we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 14. Um, this story is in a few places in the Bible, but we're going to be looking at the account of... Uh, uh, Mark, I mean, not Matthew. Uh, Mark chapter 14. So if you need a Bible, you can grab one on the sides here. We'll have it up there, or you can just get on your smartphone. Either way, I don't judge. Um, All right. So starting in verse 22, the book of Mark says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples. By the way, one of the things I love about the book of Mark is is it's constantly like immediately and then this and then this it's like it's action packed so if you are wondering about a gospel to read if you like action packed gospel read mark what I don't think this is mark is it supposed to be Matthew 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 is not as action packed <laughs> but but Matthew is kind of based on mark so yeah. <laughs> Matthew 22 so whoever made that slide is fired. <laughs> I made that slide. Um, all right. Matthew says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto the mountainside by himself to pray, which is something I love about Jesus. Is Jesus knew he needed alone time. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So saying that the wind was against it and it was buffeted by the, way, the waves is kind of a poetic way of saying there was a storm. There was a storm happening, and this is a, this is a common occurrence in the life of Jesus and the disciples. Have you noticed this? There were storms a lot of times. There's another story in, uh, that we're not going to be doing during this series, but there's a story of Jesus falling in, asleep in the boat in the middle of the storm, and the, the uh, disciples panicking and waking him up, and he calms the storm. I wonder, actually, how many stories that we don't have of Jesus helping the disciples avoid storms going around the storms, or saying, hey, let's wait till tomorrow. But in this story, he sends the disciples straight into a storm. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus, who loves us, send his disciples straight into the storm? The first thing I want to kind of talk about for a moment is that this story tells us that in our lives, that we can't avoid storms, that we are going to experience storms in our life. There will be storms. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. There will be uh, flat tires. There will be not enough zeros in your bank account. There will be loss of loved ones. There will be loss of jobs. There will be conflict with people that we love. There will be hardships. There will be injustice. There will be racism and homophobia and sexism. There will be storms in our life. And I bet you if we went around this room, each one of us could talk about current storms or storms that were recent in our lives or storms that we can see ahead that were like, oh man, this storm is coming, and I'm just praying this is the one that Jesus helps me circumnavigate. And one of the things that I have noticed in this story and stories like this and in the words of Jesus is that we love as followers of Jesus to claim Jesus's promises, which is, I think, a really important thing to do. I think a lot of times in our life we can really focus on things that are wrong or we can focus on things that need to be better. And I think one of the things that I have found to be really helpful is to speak the truth about Jesus' promises in our lives. I think there's a lot of power in that, but let me tell you, there is, a, there is a promise that Jesus gives us that he says, in this life, you will have troubles. We don't like to claim that promise, do we? <laughs> he says, in this life, you will have troubles. You will have storms. And he goes on, and that promise to say, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. And one of the things I think that means is, I think that means a lot, but one of the things that I think that means is that we are able to find peace in storms. This is something that we we see in the life of Jesus. We see in the life of our heroes in the faith that as they are panicking, as they are facing the unknown, as they are facing the wilderness, the desert, the storm, there is a mysterious thing that happens that sometimes we are able to find peace when it doesn't make sense. The Bible says that we find a peace that transcends understanding. Creator of Alpha, Nikki Gumbel, says this Sometimes God calms the storm, but sometimes He lets the storm rage and He calms you. I wish the promise was you can have your best life now, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you can have all that you dreamed of that you can have wealth and you can have no sickness. And have you ever been in a church setting where there's promises like that made? And I just want to say, and I say this humbly, like if you, if you have bought that line, it's not true. And I'm sorry. But I think those promises that aren't biblical uh, create a tension where we think wait a second if I've, i i thought if i followed jesus then my life would be good and that's not happening i'm following jesus and maybe it's gotten harder it's gotten worse and when when that tension happens you're you're left with this thing where you're like what what do i believe what do i believe and my friends um, affectionately calls churches that teach that atheist factories. But here's the deal: the storm is. Gosh, I don't. I don't think. I'm also not the type of person that thinks God causes every storm in your life either. I don't. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying that. But but here. Here's what I believe: is that. The storm is not where you face the enemy. The storm is where you meet your God. The storm is a place that you can meet God. I believe that there is an opportunity that we have that when we're facing hardships in our life, we get to experience God in a real and different way than we do in the mountaintop. There's, a, there, there's something that happens in suffering. There's something that happens through difficulties where the words of God can become even more true. I love the story of Elijah where, where he's sitting in the desert. He's been, you know, he just had this amazing experience on Mount Carmel where he uh, had this crazy interaction with these. These, these other priests who were, you know, it's a different story. I don't need to go into that. But he had this crazy thing, and then he's immediately cut off into the desert. He's alone. He's miserable. God says, take a nap, buddy. Have a snack and take a nap. That's essentially what he says. And he does. And, and, and Elijah's sitting there, and he's frustrated. And he's like, man, like, I, I just experienced you in the fire and in the wind and all that stuff. And Jesus says to him, God says to him, he says, listen, my voice is not in the wind. My voice is the still, small voice. And sometimes in adversity and in, in loneliness and in difficulties, we are able to hear a voice of our, of our creator that we weren't able to hear before. In this storm, I think we have an opportunity to meet God in a real way. And so if we keep on reading, verse 25, or verse, yeah, I don't know. I think I wrote on the wrong thing. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Jesus immediately said to him, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. What I love about this story is that the storm isn't the focus of this story. The storm isn't what's central to the story. Jesus is. And this is kind of going on to what we were saying is that the reason that we can have peace The reason that we can have that peace that transcends understanding is because of this. It's because Jesus is present in the storm. In this storm, they are panicking and they look out and they see what they think is a ghost. But it's Jesus. And Jesus says, take courage. It's me. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Jesus is present in the storm. Corey Tinboom, who is a Holocaust survivor and one of my heroes, she says this. She says, There's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. In the middle of the Holocaust, she said, God was there. In the middle of Palestine, God's there. In the middle of a shooting in Kansas City, God's there. In your bedroom when you're terrified. When you feel alone. When you feel helpless. And how do you how do you raise your kid? When you're dealing with chronic sickness. When you're dealing with a workplace where you're experiencing injustice. Or just a jerk boss. When you feel like your marriage is falling apart. When you feel like you're facing storms. Jesus is there. He says, Don't be afraid. He says, Don't be afraid because I'm here too. And oftentimes I think we read this and we've been taught that Jesus is offering a rebuke. Where you say, Why are you afraid? (laughs) You don't get it. You shouldn't be afraid right now. But I, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is offering an invitation. I don't think this is a rebuke. I think this is an invitation. He's saying, I, I know why you are afraid. I, I, I've been afraid, and I will be afraid, but I'm with you. You can have courage. You can have freedom, because I'm with you. And so I wonder for you today... If there are things that you're facing where you're afraid, where you're struggling, and and I, I feel the voice of the Lord saying to you right now, I am with you. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's freedom. And where there are There's perfect love. What does it do? What does it cast out? Cast out fear. So this is not a rebuke. And this is not an empty promise. And this is not a promise that you're never going to be afraid again. This is a promise that we can hold on to our Jesus by the hand. There's there's this thing, I I don't know, I, I can say this because I had I had parents that were wonderful parents. I know that not all of us had that experience. But for me, I had this thing of the safest place that I can think of. I grew up in a really bad neighborhood where we would often hear gunshots pretty much every night. We would, our house got broken into. There's constantly gang violence, all kinds of things. Um, and I remember the safest place was in my parents' bed wrapped in my dad's arms and you know I can think back and think my dad's not going to be able to stop a bullet but there was safety that I found in my dad and I think there's something similar that that Jesus's promise is not that there's not going to be bad things that happen but I can wrap you in my arms and you can feel safe with me and that the worst that you can experience is death, but I've conquered death. And you, you know, like Paul says that I want to live, but if I die, I still get Jesus. You can't take away my Jesus. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got down off the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. So I had to hang up about this for a long time. I remember I was dealing with it in counseling. I remember thinking, this bothers me. That Peter made this all about himself. Like here Jesus is walking to all the disciples and like the disciples were like this is a moment for all of us and then peter says hey can i come out there and for some reason it just really bothered me and i was like peter is so selfish man peter took this thing that was for the group and made it about himself and i don't know like has anyone ever thought that yeah peter does that sometimes but i think each and every one of us and I believe each and every person on that boat had an invitation and an opportunity to step off that boat and so I think my last point is that we get to step out of the boat if we want to there's something that annoys me about Peter because it's something that I wish that I had more of is that Peter Peter was impulsive Peter made lots of mistakes. Peter was like, I love, there's stories like where Jesus like shows off his resurrection body and is there with Elijah and Moses. And he's there with just a few of the disciples to look at. And Peter's like, hey, should we build a tabernacle? And like, Jesus like, no, just like, let me be here with you. And like, there's times where like, it's like, They come to capture Jesus, and Peter whips out a sword and cuts off a guy's ear, and Jesus is like, cool it, Peter! Like, heals the guy's ear constantly. There's so many stories of Jesus being like, Peter, can you chill, man? Like, I'm doing something here. Um, And that always bothers me about Peter. And I think there's, like, some wisdom in trying to be like, maybe we shouldn't be that impulsive. But there's something about Peter that's, like, that thing where, When Jesus was in the garden, about to be crucified. And he told, like he told Peter, like, you're going to reject me. And he's constantly like, guys, don't leave me, don't leave me. Just a couple stories before, there was this thing where Jesus was feeling rejected by a lot of people. Do you know that Jesus felt rejected? Jesus felt rejected and he looks to his disciples and says to them, are you guys going to leave me too? And you know what Peter said? He said, where else would I go? He said, you have the words of eternal life. There was this thing about Peter that was maybe a little impulsive, but he knew where life was. He Most of his mistakes were because he was so filled up with love for his Jesus. He had some other mistakes too. He was all about, Lord, I want to do it. Use me. Use me. And I think he understood that there was an invitation not to just sit back and watch Jesus walk on water, but that we can participate with Jesus that we can walk on the water with Jesus. Each and every one of us has this opportunity to step out of the boat and step into the storm in faith. Jesus has things that he has made for you to do Jesus has good works that he has created for you before the foundation of the world. Jesus has made you on purpose for a purpose, and it's going to require you to step out of the boat, to be a little bit like Peter, to say, okay, yikes, okay. There's all, each and every one of us has that. That thing in our life, like the boat, that gives us a sense of safety, right? But Peter's saying, Jesus, if you say so, I'll walk with you. And Jesus is saying, come on. Come on. And each and every one of you has things that Jesus is saying, come on. Step out of the boat. I am your safety. The boat's not your safety. I am your safety. Step out into the storm. Do you trust me? John Wimber, who is the founder of the Vineyard Movement, who's also one of my heroes, he used to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And he wasn't just a lousy speller. (laughs) But he's on to something. Faith requires us to risk. There's this thing where, you know, we look in the Bible and, God calls Abraham to to step out into the unknown and Abraham says I don't know about this but I'll follow you. Or, or God calls David to to find some stones and to stand before Goliath and and David is like I don't know about this but I'll follow you. I don't have what it takes but you do. The story over and over and over and over again is people who look to Jesus and say, I don't know if I'm qualified for this, but I know you are. This is one of the things that we believe. The Bible is is not a story about a bunch of heroes. The Bible is a story about a bunch of people like you and me who have Jesus who's the hero and that we get to participate with him. Constantly in Scripture, we see a God calling people to step out on the waves, and it can be, it can look different. I know for me, um, you know, a a number of years ago now, it's been four years since we moved up to Cleveland, and I remember thinking, uh, well, this was, we moved up here, and and pre-pandemic, I'm just going to be really honest with you guys, I was really cocky. Like, I was like, this is going to be easy for me. This is going to be easy. All the, I, I'm not, and I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but every, like, thing, every test I took, every thing I did with church planning classes, they were like, you're natural, you're going to kill this. Like, you're going to have a church of a thousand people in two weeks. No one said that. But, but, like, it was this thing that I was like, this is going to be easy. I'm, I'm a good pastor. And story for a different time, I was humbled very quickly. But I remember when we lost our whole team and I was sitting in our little apartment on Euclid Heights um, across the street from the grog shop and looking and thinking, God, what the heck is going on? You told me to do this, I thought. Like, you told me to plant a church. You told me to come up to Cleveland. And I remember him saying to me, listen, I'm going to take care of you. My promise is that I'm going to take care of you, that you don't have to be afraid, that I'm going to care for you and your family. And I was like, oh, so the church is going to be successful. He's like, I didn't promise you that. I promise that I'm going to take care of you. Do you know, this is a really important distinction, Jesus doesn't promise us always, he sometimes does, but the promise is not that we will have success. That you're not gonna start a ministry that's gonna be the biggest ministry, or that your business is not gonna be super, super amazing, and you know, you're gonna have all these healthy relationships. That's not the promise that we have in Scripture. Sometimes he might promise us those things. But the promise that we have is that he is with us through the ups and downs. So the the promise to me is I think this church is going to be okay. But the promise is that even if it's not, Jesus is with me. And the promise for you is that even if everything crumbles down, Jesus is with you. There's a prayer that I say. Um, often. Actually, I'll get to that in a second. I love this quote. I going to read this quote first by this guy named Joel Stuckey, which I don't know who this is, so he might be awful, <laughs> but I like this quote. But if you find out that he's like some racist or something, don't <laughs> hold me accountable, okay, please? I don't know who he is, but this is, this is good. <laughs> I should research that a little bit more. Okay, so he says, Jesus does not take people out into the middle of the sea to drown them. He takes people across the sea so they can participate in his work of world redemption. He does not stand afar off to do this. No, he enters the darkness, the evil, the suffering of this world, and he transforms it from within. If we are following him, then we too will enter this darkness, and we need to keep Jesus in sight. Jesus doesn't call, call you into the storm. Jesus doesn't call you to walk on water for bad things. He calls you because he wants to use you. He, th- this is the reason that we are called Restoration Heights Church, is because we believe that Jesus is on this great mission of restoration, and he has called you and I to partner with him. And to partner with him, we have to step off the boat. We have to get uncomfortable. We have to go to meetings about immigration and actually not just sit there, but maybe get our hands dirty. We need to not just, you know, change our Instagram picture to something that's anti-racist, but actually do the work of becoming anti-racist ourselves and do the work to fight for justice. We need to not just say that we are a church for all people, but do the work for being... To, uh, to be a church for all people. We don't, we, and, and listen, that's just like big picture, but there's things in your life. There are people that you work with. There are neighbors. There are family members. There are you know people in your neighborhood and in your spheres that Jesus is saying, what would it look like for you to partner with me in my work of restoration in Joe's life? You can sit on the boat, and I'm going to love you. Or you can get off the boat and partner with me. There's a prayer that I learned to pray, that I prayed when like, I was giving my life back to the Lord, where I said, I won't go into the full story. Time. But I said, God, I want to go where you go, not where I want to go. I want to be where you are. I don't want to just constantly invite you to be where I am. I don't want to invite you into what our church is doing, but I want our church to be a part of what you're doing. I want Restoration Heights Church to be a church that is harmonizing with the melody of Jesus. That in our neighborhoods, we're saying, Jesus, what are you doing? And we step off the boat to partner with that. Okay, let's end off here. It says, Verse thirty. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink. Cried out, "Lord, save me!" Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were on the boat worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." Again, I just want to say this. I'm not. I'm not going to go deep into this. I don't think this is a rebuke either. I don't think this you don't have any faith. Why did you doubt his rebuke? I think this is an invitation. Here's what I believe about the sin. The key for us in the storm is to fix our eyes on Jesus and not on the storm. If we look at this, it says that um, Peter was afraid because he, he, he saw the wind. He was looking at the waves. He was looking at the storm, and he says he began to sink. And I don't think that's wrong to do. I think it's natural to do. But I think the key for us is Jesus is inviting us to fix our eyes on him. It's important to know what the storms are. It's important to not just live with our heads in the sand and not just be like, you know, the kind of church that says, I, hey, everything's great because we follow Jesus and we're not going to talk about racism or we're not going to talk about like systemic injustices in our church because we love Jesus. That's not what this is saying. What we are saying is that when we see a storm, when we see a problem, the key to overcoming the storm is to look at Jesus and say, where are you calling me? What are you asking me to do? To get our eyes off the problem and on to, The solution. For me, here's a a really big one that I feel like God is calling me to do to get my eyes off of what is wrong with the American church and get my eyes on what Jesus is calling the American church to be. I, I am very angry, frustrated, sad about the state of the American church. And I think that's good. But Jesus is saying, Instead of focusing on what's wrong, what would it look like if you focused on what I'm calling the church to be? What I'm calling Restoration Heights to be? What I'm calling you to be, JT? Karen, who, who is Jesus calling you to be? Brittany, who's calling Jesus calling you to be? And this doesn't mean we don't look at what's wrong, but it means that our focus is on who Jesus is. I think the best leaders can identify the problems but are able to say, but here is the solution. Or here's where we're going. I don't have all the answers, but I know I know kind of where we're heading. And so if we can say, I don't have all the answers, but I know Jesus does. So there's There's this idea that we see, that when we're filled with anxiety, the the Bible tells us to focus on what is lovely, what is is pure, what is good, what is righteous, what is holy. And I think that is a kind of a long-winded way of saying, how beautiful is Jesus. How kind is he? How strong is he? Faithful. And so here's what's beautiful about our faith is that for Peter and for you and for I, his faith didn't have to be really strong to walk on the water. It was who he put his faith in. Tim Keller says this. He says, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is actually fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. That's why Jesus talks about, like, guys, all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. And that's not saying that, like, I used to think that just means if we, you know, if we muster up a little bit of faith, we could actually probably step out onto the swimming pool and walk on the water. I think what Jesus is saying is if you fix your eyes on me, even if it's like a wavering faith, like, oh, man, I don't know if he's going to come through, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step out. That's actually better than being like, I have faith that he will help me walk on this swimming pool, but that's not what he wants me to do. Do you know what I mean? That we don't have to have all the faith in the world. We just have to put our faith in Jesus.